Welcome to Unspoken, the podcast that highlights experiences that are all too common but very rarely discussed. I am Dr. Cloda Campbell, the wellness psychologist, and I feel very passionately about speaking the unspoken to remove the taboo and shame that so often surrounds our experiences and internal worlds. For each episode of Unspoken, I am joined by someone who would like to uncover their unspoken with us in order to help themselves, but also in order to help others. I really hope that you enjoy today's episode and that you take something from it. Today's podcast is very kindly sponsored by Sensate. Do you struggle to relax or to switch out of fight or flight mode? If so, Sensate is your key to calm. Developed by doctors and science-backed, Sensate uses infrasonic sound wave therapy to help your body's nervous system recover from daily stresses and anxiety and to enter into a deep relaxation state. If this is something you would like to incorporate into your life, Sensate have very kindly offered unspoken listeners 10% off when using code CLODA10. Today I'm joined by Amanda, who has very bravely agreed to share her unspoken with us. Amanda speaks to me about struggling with depression, anxiety and low self-esteem throughout her teens and 20s, building up the strength and courage to leave her marriage and to get back on her feet, and her near-death experience aged 32, where her car plummeted 300 feet down a mountain, which resulted in her having no pulse when the emergency services arrived. Amanda speaks throughout today's episode about fighting to live and vowing to be brave, to stop playing small and to make her life count. Amanda, welcome to Unspoken. Thank you so much for joining me today to share your incredible story with us. I know each and every listener will be blown away by your experience, just as I was when we first connected. So thank you for being here. Well, thank you very much for the invite, Cloda. Take us back to what life was like growing up for you. Um, growing up, I grew up in a small seaside village in the north of Antrim. So it was like pretty idyllic childhood. You know, we had beach, we had the mountains. It was like a one street village, a big family unit. And it was a really lovely, lovely place to grow up. But uh, I really struggled. So I did. I just, I never, I had everything that you needed to be happy. Mm. I had skills, I had abilities, I had so much love. There was no trauma that I was aware of. And uh, I didn't understand what trauma was back then. (laughs) But uh, I remember just as a teenager being like really, really hard on myself, like overthinking everything, really low self-esteem, but always pretending that. I was confident and capable and and then I was bullied in primary school, bullied in secondary school. I, I in my head, I was a really good person. And I was like, why are people not seeing this? It's like, I can't do enough to try and be a good person. But then I suppose I just had um, really struggled with depression then in my teens and a lot of anxiety, a lot of overthinking, a lot of insecurity. And, and yeah, looking back, I just can't believe how hard on myself I was. And as I said, there was like, I had such a love and family. Mm. And then I always had this sense of like, what's wrong with me? Like, yeah. am I really ungrateful? Or why am I so like struggling whenever there's no reason to struggle? Um, so yeah, it was uh, kind of a a mixed bag lots of really good things like a really lovely family unit and a lovely community to grow up in and you know I had lots of skills and abilities but uh but yeah I just was really really hard on myself 
And at one stage, I didn't even know if I wanted to to live. I actually did have like quite severe suicidal thoughts. And, and I got sick, <laughs> I actually got sick because I'm, I'm a big believer in like the mind, like, you know, through, if disease is disease. So I, I had meningitis and I, and I, I then had to fight for my life. And I was like, right, I don't, I don't want to not be here. So, so uh, then I just tried my best just to get on with life and just be a normal person and create my life the best I could. Oh my God. It sounds like that period of your life was incredibly difficult to be in that space where you felt so low and by the sounds of it, so hopeless. Yeah. Yeah. I, it was very lonely. It was a very lonely time in my teens. I just didn't seem to connect with people. And, um, I then, I, I realized now how in trying to counteract my insecurity, I was trying to be perfect. Mm. So I was trying to be the best at everything. And I was, you know, I was playing netball and I was playing camogie and I was singing and, you know, and I just, I had to be the best at everything. Cause then maybe people will like me. And uh, I was always like doing things for charity and wanting to like make a difference and save the world. And so I just, as I say, in my mind, I couldn't do enough. But I realize now that that kind of perfectionism made me come across and and the the trying to mask the insecurity made me come across as quite proud. And, And yeah, I just, yeah, it was, it was very lonely because I just didn't find my tribe and I just, yeah. How did the anxiety show up in your life? I didn't actually realize that it was anxiety till my 40s now. Um, I just thought I was like a deep thinker. Mm. But in hindsight, like it's only, it sounds hard to explain, but it was only in healing my anxiety now that I realized that I've lived with it my whole life. So just overthinking and really, really hyperactive nervous system, like I hyper awareness hypervigilance it was always I didn't actually again I didn't realize there was an unsafe thing in my nervous system that I always had to be in control of situations in case Mm. something happened yeah so there was just all this underlying stuff that I wasn't even aware of Mm. so yeah just having to be in control overthinking overanalyzing um like I didn't even drink I didn't start drinking until I was 26 because I thought it was because I was a good girl. <laughs> it was like, but it was part of that was because I didn't want to be out of control. I needed to be aware of my surroundings and yeah. Okay. So as you progressed and through your twenties, what was life like for you at that stage? Um, yeah, it really settled down. So it did, it really settled. And I, I kind of just went on with life and, you know, I, my my early 20s I didn't really I, I wanted I was a musician who was too scared to sing it was like I was singing in cover bands but I didn't have the courage to to sing my own songs or to follow that as a career 
So I, I didn't really ever commit to a job. I traveled loads in my 20s. So there was lots of really incredible experiences. Mm. Like I traveled the world and and I was, did, you know, singing and I, I worked at like random like temp jobs and stuff because I didn't want to commit to anything. Mm. But I was just trying to work it all out. But on the outside, it looked like everything was perfect. I had a nice job. I had like a really lovely life. I had great experiences. I had a nice boyfriend at the time. But do you ever have that feeling that there's just something missing I just had this deep like I couldn't wait to be an adult I always joke about this with people I couldn't wait to be an adult and then all of a sudden it's like like is this it Mm. (laughs) and it's like you know is this what I was waiting for like Mm. do you know the way when you're a teen you just can't wait to have your freedom and then it was like okay I thought it would be like different I thought it would be better than this yeah so I suppose there's part of me mom I always said I was an old soul so I think there's part of me that was always seeking something deeper something more okay and uh and a friend of mine he's really into like I didn't realize it at the time but I really admired the way she communicated and the way she you know her energy and her vibe and uh, the way her relationship was and then she said to me that she did personal development work and I didn't even know what that was and I remember her telling me there was this course on in Dublin and I should do it it would really help me to to feel more confident and uh, I said to her oh I don't need anything like that that's for people with problems like I'm grand <laughs> and I heard myself say it Do you know when you kind of like hear yourself going I'm grand grand and then I was like is grand enough like mm. do I really want to feel like yeah everything's grand and I was like do you know something I'll just do it I've nothing to lose mm. so I did like a three-day like really intensive self-development course in in Dublin and it literally was like somebody shining a light bulb on your identity and your character and all of the fears and insecurities and where they came from and and I just got like absolute like whoa (laughs) like that's why I'm like that and that's why I'm like that and uh and I just it brought me such great freedom And I started being a little bit more aware of myself and a little bit more compassionate about myself. And, uh, and yeah, it was just like a different stage of life then. Yeah. So it sounds like that course was a real turning point for you and massively helped with how you felt about yourself and your understanding of yourself. Yeah, it really, really did. And it just, it started me on my kind of personal awareness, like self-development journey, which was really lovely. Um, but it's it's kind of like a mixed, <laughs> mixed emotions with it because I met my ex-husband on that course. Okay. And, um, and things were going really, really well for a little while. And then um, things went downhill very, very badly. So everything was going really really well and it was like I'm rebuilding my life I'm taking responsibility things are going great and then all of a sudden it was like oh this just doesn't feel right there's just something not right here what was happening within that relationship um it's so hard to explain very mentally controlling emotionally and mentally to the point where as I said like outwardly I've always been quite a confident person Mm. but I didn't even know my own mind Clodagh it was like the level of gas I know now that it was gaslighting but the level of control manipulation put downs threats 
months. And now we did have a few really, really good years, like the first few years and we had we got married, we have a daughter together and and the first few years were amazing. So it was it was like, oh my goodness, what's happening? Yeah. And I always say to people, it's like I used to joke with them and go, like, you're controlling, like stop it. Like stop it. And we used to joke about it. And because we both had like that coaching background and um, I would be like, you're doing it again. Like, I'm not responsible for, like, don't be taking your feelings out on me. I'm not responsible for you. Like, go deal with whatever's going on. And we used to joke about it. But I now see that it's almost like an iceberg. It's like what I saw was the top 5% of what was actually going on. Yeah. And there was a lot going on below the surface that I wasn't even aware of. A lot of manipulation. And I say the gaslighting was just incredible. Like, just threats and then I would stand up for myself and they'd be like what are you talking about that didn't happen you know you're mad in the head you're crazy did you what, what, like nobody else has seen it so who's going to believe you or me do you know and it just it just went from bad to worse and I just knew at one point I was just like I don't feel safe here anymore and um, I remember sitting him down like three months after our wedding and saying who are you like, I don't know who you are and I don't know what you're capable of and I'm scared. Yeah, so it was pretty horrendous. How did he respond to that? Um, He, that's a really good question. There was like a nothingness, like a void of emotion, which scared me even more mm. because I think anybody who had been accused of something or you know if you if if you're if somebody says something like that to you normally there's some emotional reaction mm. but the fact that there was no emotional reaction I literally got chills going this is actually worse than I thought like he just actually doesn't care <laughs> there was zero empathy zero consequences zero like ownership of anything and he just turned it all back on me it was my fault I was draining them and I was paranoid and I was insecure and if I would only play my role then he wouldn't have to be forced to act the way that he was so it was it was pretty horrendous um how old was your daughter she was two at this stage she was two so I at this stage I was really isolated we had moved out to like a cottage in Wicklow and I was really, really isolated. I was on my own. I was scared and I knew I had to get home. I just knew I had to be around other people. Mm. And I read something, I was, I suppose I might've been Googling it or something, but I read something about like how when you're isolated, it's easy to, to gaslight, but when there's other people that see it or you're around people more, it's harder for them to get away with that. And I was like, I need my family. I need people around me. Yeah. Um, so I prayed and I was just like, how am I going to get out of this? Because I didn't feel, I knew I had to manipulate it. I knew that I couldn't just say I'm leaving. So I prayed and we were going home for Christmas to my family. And it happened to be like that year. I think it was like 12, 13 years ago. It was really, really bad snow. And we lived up a lane and like the snow lay for like two or three weeks and it was icy and I, the, the roof, there was so, 
I'm a big believer in the universe helping you. The roof collapsed and there was like, or there was leaks in the roof and there was like puddles in the hall. And my daughter was like getting up and putting her welly boots on and jumping in the puddles in the hall. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not going back to that house until that leak is fixed and until it's warmer, especially in such a cold, cold uh, winter. So that was my way of staying. And I was like, when the house is fixed or we can work something out. And then um, I actually convinced him to stay for a, a couple of months up with my family because at that stage, like the, re the recession was starting to, to hit in the mm -hmm. South and the price of housing was so drastically different here than it is in the North. And I was like, we really should think about settling in the North. And I was literally trying to work out what was going on, trying to get make sense of it. And then I actually thought that he was having a nervous breakdown. Like I didn't realize the depth of it. I thought maybe he kept saying he was under pressure and I thought he was having a nervous breakdown. So we agreed that he would go to counseling. Mm. And I just thought, right, well, if he's trying, maybe we'll get to the bottom of something. And again, it, it, it's when you're in the middle of it, it's such a blur, you know, so... Did you love him? Yeah, I really did. I I think I had him on a pedestal, probably a wee bit too much. <laughs> and I really did love him. Yeah, mm. so it hurt. So he started going to the counselling, which was amazing. I thought, okay, maybe he is just having a nervous breakdown. Maybe he's not a bad person. Maybe he's just like acting out of fear, pressure, whatever, was clutching at straws, I think. And the counsellor asked to see me. I went in to see the counsellor. He, he asked to see us together, mm. psychotherapist. Then he asked to see me on my own. And he was like, I, I can't disclose any details, but I have a duty of care to tell you that you're in danger. Oh my God. Yeah. And he says, I think you should be very, very careful what your next moves are. Um, what was it like to hear that? Oh, it was, I don't know if there are any words. <laughs> I don't know if there are words. Shock, upset, fear, um, confusion, like what is happening? It was like a blur. When I look back to that time, mm. it was like a blur, but I was really scared. So I, that was the stage where I was like, something has to happen. I can't, I can't continue like this. So I asked him to leave. I just, yeah, I asked him to leave. Oh my God, that must have been so hard to build up that courage. How did that go down? How did he respond to that? He was angry. He was very angry. And... I just was like, I just stood my ground. I just was like, I need you to leave. And my dad was close by and we were actually staying with my dad at the time. Um, and while we were looking for a house and I was like, daddy's like, I was speaking to him and he had like a studio set up in the garage. And I was like, my dad's inside, daddy will be out in two minutes. If there's no word, I need you to leave. Like I, there is no more negotiation. There's no more talking. I need you to go. So it sounds like being at home with your family nearby gave you the sense of safety that I can do this. I'll be okay. Yeah. 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 And it was so funny because 
the wee one street village that I couldn't wait to get away from mm. <laughs> when I was a, a teenager I was like I'm out of here I'm bigger than this it was so hard coming home as a failure and it was I felt like a failure I felt like how is this me how am I this person and uh, I was like broke and starting again and I was 32 I was broke and broken so it was really soothing to be around family I needed family and I often I see like movies like with this situation and read books and stuff and I often think like I'm so grateful that I had family to fall back on because some people don't Mm. so I was very 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 grateful for that and the beach which is a great healer Mm. yeah yeah so you're back with your family you have the eyes of the village on you you're walking on the beach were you able to to find yourself again and get back on your feet Yes, I I was. And thankfully, I had all the work that I had done, all this personal development work. And I had I had actually trained as a coach and, and like a really high level leader within that organization. So I was really, really grateful to have that mindset perspective mm. that I get to decide I can be a victim mm. or I can claw back from this. And I truly believe that like circumstances are your greatest teachers. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this has happened for a reason. I know that sounds really cliched. And when you're in the middle of something, that's not what you want to hear. But I was like, this, this has happened for a reason. And all I have to do is look after myself and trust that it'll work out. Yeah. So I worked so hard on myself. I retrained. I did like um, another diploma, like a teaching diploma. And I started um singing the game I formed a a, like a wedding band because I was like what do I want to do Mm. it was almost like I there's nothing there's no further I could have fallen (laughs) it was like I might as well just do what I want to do because I've already failed everything when you're starting from scratch Mm. it's nearly easier to to go all in with a new venture so I just wanted to to start carving my own path and and there was a little part of me too that was like I'll not let him win. If I am broken, then he wins. And I just would, I just didn't want to give him that power, you know? So I worked so hard and I was in counseling. I was doing all my different meditation, journaling, all the rest. Now I did really struggle for a while. I really struggled. I I don't think I could even go to the, the local shop for months. Like I used to make daddy go to the shop. I just... I felt like such a failure, you know, and I just didn't want, if somebody had a, you know, when somebody's like nice to you and then you cry, it's yeah. like, just don't show me any sympathy. Um, so I worked really hard in rebuilding myself. I was in counseling. I remember about a year down the line then I was at my final counseling appointment of that series. And it was the guy that I had been to before because I just really trusted him from that experience. And uh, I remember leaving his office and I was like, I feel strong enough now to deal with whatever life throws at me. So bring it on. And on my way home from that appointment, I accidentally drove myself over the side of the mountain. (laughs) And I was 300 foot down the side of the mountain with a bad head injury, unconscious and no pulse whenever the fire brigade arrived. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm speechless that saying to to yourself, 
I'm ready now I can deal with whatever comes my way yeah my first conscious thought was like are you fucking kidding me (laughs) are we allowed to curse (laughs) I swear to god it sounds so weird but that was my first conscious thought when I came around I was like are you kidding me after the year I've just had like what is it that you want from me (laughs) I was like I was really angry um my second conscious thought was where is my daughter because I couldn't remember I couldn't, I didn't know what day it was. I didn't know where I, where I had been. I didn't know whether she was in the car with me. Um, so it was a very strange, panicked kind of moment. Yeah. And how do you know that you had no pulse? There was a person that had seen the car and he had um, been waiting for the fire brigade. He had been like talking to me and trying to keep me conscious and he said when the fire brigade arrived, they, they couldn't find a pulse. And they had phoned ahead, actually, and said that this one's going to be a fatality. She's not going to make it, so you may send the helicopter to... I think when it's off the road or something, they have to send a helicopter to photograph. So they actually phoned the station and said this is going to be a fatality. Oh, my God. Yeah. And do you remember, you know, you said your first conscious thought was, you know, what the hell? But before that, do you... Like, what was that like? Do you have any recollection of... Yeah, I think the brain's a really powerful thing. And I don't remember anything from about two minutes up the road. I remember I'd met my cousin actually for coffee on the way home. And I was like really powered up. And we were, she was going to come over and we were going to have wine. And I had bought like cheese and olives and, and all the rest. And we were going to like celebrate life. Mm. And I remember just the last memory I have is driving just down the road a wee bit and CeeLo Green was playing and the sun was shining and I was singing along you know and I just remember thinking life is good and then I don't remember anything from that until tiny fractions I don't remember it all but I just remember fractions but I don't remember what happened but I think the brain kind of protects you from the trauma of that I'm glad Mm. I don't remember what were the tiny fractions I the first thing I can remember is coming around. I remember this absolute bliss feeling. I just, it was like warm and comfortable and blissful and peaceful and just this most gorgeous feeling. And then slowly, slowly, slowly coming back into my senses and going oh 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 there's something wrong there's something wrong and then the bliss again and there was just I don't know how long that went on but I remember waking up and like my I was the seatbelt was still around me and I was like down facing down the mountain so I could all I could see was my hair and blood and glass and then I was out again so there's, there's fractions of that that I can remember. There's that conscious thought of, are you kidding me? Like, what is going on? Like, I can't believe, I was so angry. Like, I can't believe I'm dealing with this. Mm. After the year I've just had and I and I, I was starting to feel good and now this, I was angry at myself. Like, how did I do this? So um, in those fractions of memories, I know I had a choice. And people ask you how, and it's like, it's, it's so hard to explain. 
But I know I was in that place of absolute bliss and I could have stayed there if I wanted to. And all I could think of was Sophia. Anybody who's a mom, she was only, she wasn't even three. And anybody who's a mom, she was nearly four actually, but anybody who's a mother knows that they don't want to leave your child behind, especially when I was like, if I die, what happens to her? And she's not, I just, I knew that she wasn't safe. Um, What sense do you make of that bliss feeling? I think I could have died if I wanted to. And and it's not like you can explain it. I just know. I just know it. I know that I could have just drifted off. Um, and it, to be honest, there was moments where it would have been easy to do that. And I just kept thinking about Sophia. And then in the midst of it all, I had this immense feeling of like regret disgust disappointment I was just like if I die now I have wasted my life I just kept thinking you know I thought I had time I thought I had time like all of the things I wanted to do and I kept thinking I had time I get to it I get to it when I'm more confident when I have more money when I'm ready when I get back on my feet And I had just wasted my life. And I literally remember that feeling of absolute disgust. And I was like, I can't die like this. (laughs) I can't, this is not my time. And I was just, and in the midst of all of that, I asked a question and I was literally like, what do I need to do to get out of this? And as clear as day, like in the mayhem of getting cut out of a car, there was, again, I was in this peaceful, blissful place, no pain, no awareness of anything that was going on around me. It was just this internal experience that I was having. Yeah. And in the midst of that, I asked, what do I need to do to get out of this? I will do anything. Who were you asking? I am a big believer in the universe. So, um, I don't know if it's God or Buddha or <laughs> I don't, I think it's all the same. I think there's this higher consciousness and mm. I would talk to the universe and I just asked what I need to do. Like, show me what yeah. I need to do. I'll do anything. And I was desperate, yeah. like, please, I'll do anything. And again, as clear as day, this like, it was like on my right shoulder and it was like, sing. And again, the wee internal battle going, but I just started, like I had joined, I've started my wedding band and they were like, sing. And I just got this knowing it was like, right, okay, it's time to sing your own songs. It's time to have a career and and start sharing your message and sharing your story. Wow. It's just so incredible, your whole experience. I have a picture of you with your seatbelt on facing down the mountain with your head injury and for this all to be going through your mind. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was it's it's so hard to find words sometimes because I actually don't give that much thought, which I've realized in like coming to talk to you. I haven't given it any 
power. I haven't given, I haven't given it much thought because from that moment, I was just like, when I came out of it, I, like I was brought to hospital and they scanned me and they couldn't, there was brain swelling, but they couldn't see anything on the scans. And they were like, we're going to have to wait till the brain swelling comes down until we work out if there's any lasting damage. And, uh, and the car like rolled at least five or six times. And then it went like 80 foot into a ravine. So it was pretty severe. And, um, but there was nothing wrong with me, Cloda. Like nothing, like, my cheekbone was, I think the only break I had was like my cheekbone was broken. Now I looked like, I looked like not a pretty sight. Everybody was calling me Quasimodo. You know, when you have like one of those country families, it was like my face was all bashed and like my head was all swollen and I was bruised. And But um, my pelvis was two inches out of place. So all of my back muscles and like everything was like ripped out of its place. But, but the, there was nothing wrong with my brain. There was no breakages. There was no internal damage. There was, and they actually scanned me again just to check. They were like, we, we, we can't see anything. And before they let me out, they were like, we have to check this again because we just can't understand. And there was somebody else, the brain team were telling me that they were, were dealing with the lady who had fallen in her garden and hit her head and was brain damaged. Oh my God. And they were like, we just, you're like an absolute miracle. Like nobody can understand how you get out of that so well and I suppose I just used that as in it's a miracle I have a second chance and I didn't give any power to what had just happened I was like I need to put this behind me I have a second chance I am not freaking wasting it again and I literally was like it took me a few months to get back on my feet properly mm. and I also I was broke I was a single parent and trying to to get pay bills and get back on my feet so I couldn't and sit were, around for too long you're also now one car down yeah <laughs> I went out and bought the exact same car by the way <laughs> I was like that car saved me I am buying the exact same car yeah. Uh, yeah. so um I I swear to god it's so hard to explain the trajectory after that because I was like have you seen that film with Bradley Cooper called Limitless and he takes a pill that removes all of your fears and limitations. And he is like, like he just like, it's life just, he can speak languages. He, he can do everything. I felt a little bit like that. I felt like all of the, the negative self-talk that had held me back my whole life. Flow. I wanted to sing. I wanted to share my songs. I wanted to have a career in music. But there was this negative chatter that was like, but what if you fail? Sure, you're not good enough. What if people don't like it? What, you're going to make an idiot of yourself. Sure, you're not. It was all different versions of not good enough. Mm. And then all of the chatter from my ex as well about I'd never make it without him and I was nothing. And so there was all these wee voices that had kept me so small. And all of a sudden it was like they were so irrelevant so it was just like, I have just faced death and I have been given another chance. Mm. And at the core of that was like, I never want to feel that regret again. When my time does come, I don't want to feel like I did in that moment that I am going to die with 
without leaving something behind, without living my purpose. Mm. And I was like, I have to make this count. I have to. And there was another part of me that was like, if I don't, something else bad's going to happen. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I was like, mm. all of this stuff, all this bad stuff is happening. I'm a good person. All of this bad stuff is leading me towards my purpose. And if I vowed, I'll do anything and then I don't do it. I was nearly scared of being like struck by lightning or something random. Mm. So I was like, I have to do this. But it was as much as it was a really like horrific experience, it was also incredibly liberating and incredibly empowering because it was like, I've got a chance at life now and I can make this whatever way I want it to be. So what did you go on to do? I went on to sing. Mm. <laughs> I literally, it was like somebody had opened the floodgates, Cloda. And like, I just started writing. I threw myself into my writing. And that's something that I always joked with people going like, with all of this heartbreak and all of this drama, there's going to be some songs in this. Mm -hmm. And I love that like alchemy of like taking something painful and making it something beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I have to get something good out of this. This can't be for no reason. So I threw myself into my writing. What are some of the moments of beauty that have come from that? Oh my goodness. The creative process in, in itself. So I, I went into the studio. I The synchronicity of the right people, the right producers, the right musicians. I I had an, I think I, I put my first EP, which is like a four, four single album, like a short play album out about a year after that. And I got my first radio play and then I started playing festivals and doing live radio stuff. And so from that, I I just threw myself into it. I was like, I'm going to make this work. Um, I have two albums now. So I do. I have done some incredible, incredible things. Um, it was RTE Radio 1 album of the week with my last album, which I recorded in Alabama in the same studio as Aretha Franklin. Oh, my God. Which was like absolute bucket list like you know Alicia Keys had been there a few weeks before and so like Percy Sledge and Wilson Pickett and the Rolling Stones and all of these like I'm really into soul music so all of my heroes had recorded there and I was like I want to do it, it was I was going to be 40 that year and I was like play big or go home Amanda yeah. like let's do it you've nothing to lose yeah. just go for it so I went to America recorded that album um I did like a small tour so I, I've I've done different tours around America Ireland and the UK and then one of the American tours I was invited back the next year to sing for St. Patrick's Day in Washington and I got to sing for the Taoiseach and the, the American president and it was like all these really really incredible things it has been amazing and then like even things like opening the Sunday Times and there's like a two page spread and you're like, ooh, <laughs> there's me or yeah. the Daily Mirror. And I got I was so lucky, Cloda. I just as soon as I committed to myself and I chose me, other people were like, Oh, I know such and such. I know this person. I'll hook you up with do you know, and I just had some incredible experiences like recording in Nashville with like Grammy winners and writing with with like really incredible people and what a powerful message to yeah. share 
as soon as you committed to yourself and believed in yourself yeah. the world just opened up to yeah. you yeah and that's something so I I had the coaching background too so I have a coaching business as well and that's something that I'm always saying to people first of all I always challenge people it's like who do you want to be known as like if your day came god forbid if your day was tomorrow would you be proud mm -hmm. of what you've created would you be proud of what you're leaving behind but it's like when you believe in yourself other people believe in you it starts with you yeah but in the past, I was so hard on myself. I was wanting validation outside. I was wanting other people to validate me. Mm. But other people won't take a risk on you if you won't even take a risk on you. So I, I think I saw really, really quickly the synchronicities when I went all in. It was so quick. They were like, things like I booked a flight to Nashville going, I've always wanted to go to Nashville to write and record. And I had one contact there and 11 days. And I was like, I'm just going to do it. And as soon as I communicated that I was doing it, people were like, oh yeah, I'll hook you up with such and such. I'll hook you up with this. I'll hook. I had something like 20 co-writes that week. And it was, it was just like how easy it all started to flow. And then even at a vocal level, like I used to limit myself because I wasn't I, I was too busy trying to be perfect and getting all the notes right that I wasn't willing to take risks to stretch my range. I wasn't, because if I stretch my range, I might get a note wrong and then I couldn't live with myself not being perfect. So in me just taking risks and just letting loose and trusting myself, my vocal range went like through the roof. And I was singing like notes that I didn't even know were possible. <laughs> and this power just came. And it was like the floodgates opened with both my vocal range, also my writing ability. I used to try and write songs. And now it's like, I nearly can't stop. It's just like constant. Yeah. <laughs> Sitting here listening to your story, I am blown away. Blown away by what you've overcome. But also that idea that you're leaving us with that if you can commit to yourself and believe in yourself that the world just changes so thank you so much for sharing that with us yeah. and you have inspired me I have no doubt our listeners will feel equally as inspired leaving today too oh, thank, thank you, you so much Clodagh thanks for having me every single day I speak to women who are successful high achievers and who, to the outside world, look like they are thriving and living their very best lives. However, deep inside, these women are questioning themselves and their self-worth. Do I deserve this? Am I good enough? Am I truly lovable? We question ourselves so much, don't we? I grew up questioning myself, seeking external validation to make me feel good, trying to prove myself to feel worthy. Becoming a mother was life-changing for me. Because in the very moment my daughters took their first breaths, I realised something extremely powerful. We are all born worthy. There is nothing we have to do to prove ourselves. All we need to do is just be. This was the most powerful lesson I ever learned in my life and I hope these words can sink in for you today. You were born worthy. You do not need to prove your worth. All you need to do is just be. Close your eyes and repeat after me. 
I was born worthy. I do not need to prove my worth. All I need to do is just be. And one more time. I was born worthy. I do not need to prove my worth. All I need to do is just be. In Amanda's story, we heard how life-changing it was for her to let go of fear and self-doubt and to follow her dreams. Perhaps it's time for you to do the same. Return to closing your eyes and listen to my words as I remind you of your worth. Gently and lovingly, Allow your body to settle into this space you have created for yourself. Feel your body as it begins to let go, to release, to sigh in this pause and this stillness. Connect your focus to your breath, the beautiful rise and fall of your chest the natural rhythm your body drops into when you allow yourself to come home in this way. Slow and steady inhales and exhales. Slow and steady sighs and releases as your body relaxes. As you sit here breathing in this beautiful way, consider how often you offer yourself this gift, this pause, this peace. How often do you prioritize yourself amidst the busyness of life? For you deserve to prioritize yourself. You deserve to love and honor and care for yourself in this way. As you sit here in this stillness, I wonder if you know just how much of a gift you are to this world. People smile because of you. People light up because of you. People feel loved because of you. By just being you, you bring so much love and light to the world. Your soul touches the souls of those around you. Your very essence soothes and comforts and heals. For you are love and you are loved. I wonder how often you try to prove your worth. How often you try to prove yourself. For you have nothing to prove. By just being you, by just being the light and beauty you are in the world, you are whole and worth so much more than you could ever imagine. For you are love and you are loved. As you sit here in this beautiful stillness, Place your hand against your heart and remind yourself of all of the love that lies within you. Sit here in the moment for as long as you need. 
You are whole, you are worthy, and you are deserving of all of your dreams, just by being you. Thank you so much for listening to Unspoken with me, Dr. Clodagh Campbell, the wellness psychologist. Be sure to like, subscribe and follow me at The Wellness Psychologist on Instagram if you'd like to hear more. If you identified with this topic, make sure to check out the show notes where I have listed related resources for you. I hope you find them beneficial.